please. Father in heaven, we just praise you tonight. And we sing these songs, not just from our lips, but from the depths of our soul. Because we are learning that you are worthy of all the exaltation. You are worthy of our worship. And we are learning to keep ourselves in the proper place. Father, tonight we are again going into a lesson that will just feel like it's today. And so, Father, we want to be very attuned. We want to make sure that we hear, that we are very conscientious about choosing to listen to you, that, that we really have a desire to want to know you more, that even though some of this instruction is very difficult and it's it's pretty challenging and it's pretty convicting and it's pretty black and white. And yet, Father, we need to know. We need to know the simplicity that it's either salvation or it's judgment. We either listen and we respond or we face the consequences. Father, it is just from the time we started this whole study in September, Father, it's just like it is crystal clear what you want to show us. Father, tonight we, we pray for those who just need you in a special way. Father, you know what's going on behind closed doors. And you know how maybe we're not as vocal to say it, but you know. And Father, you are so ready to meet us right where we need to be met. Father, may we sense that, that you are right there. That just like Isaiah said, this is what the Lord said. I formed you, I've created you, I've summoned you by name. You belong to me. And when the, when the waters come, when the rivers come, when the fire comes, I am there. I am your Savior. Father, may we never forget that. May we always let your Holy Spirit remind us that you are always there. You are sovereign and you're in all situations. Father, tonight we pray especially for a young gal, and we don't have to go into details because you know exactly who she is. And Father, we just lift her up. May she, may she um, remain safe. May she know what next move to make. And Father, just reminds us that our, our world, our United States, even our Michigan, even our West Michigan, Father, it's, it just needs you so badly. And so, Father, we just lift her up tonight. And, Father, we also pray for those 17 people in Haiti. Father, I can't get them off my mind, and I'm sure everyone sitting here says the same thing. Father, to think that they went for your sake. They, they went to proclaim the gospel, to live out the gospel, to be able to help orphans. Father, we don't know what's going on. We have no idea. Father, it's just getting a little close. And we've been studying. This is why I feel so strongly that we're in the right book because we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Father, we have the opportunity right now to, to just be able to open our Bibles and, and to be able to freely learn and hear from you without any anybody coming in, storming in and but, Father, we don't know. We don't know if it's happened before. So we just don't know. But we want to be ready. We want to be, we want to be so expecting that you will always supply what we need. You are all we need. Lord, I just pray right now that they will sense 
everything that they have learned, that the Holy Spirit will help them recall everything, that they will sit there with courage and strength, that no matter what happens, they know they belong to you. So, Father, we just lift that whole situation to you tonight. Father, as we go into this chapter, Father, it's so different than last week. But, Father, we know, again, it has to be said. It's got to be dealt with. And so we are ready to receive what you've got. And we truly will praise you and exalt you and honor you. Fairest Lord Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. And Holy Spirit, thank you for making these words on the page understandable and relatable. That it will affect our heart condition. That then will affect our actions. That then we can go into our divided world and bring a, the light of Jesus. And we pray this all in his name. Amen. All right, here we go. Let's see your Bibles. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. That's right. All right, as we go into our lesson tonight, I, I know that um, we always look forward to the new lesson. But you also know that I love to review. And I, I know that that's not a favorite of some. But when you do a study like this, even though I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the review tonight, I just want you to somehow during the week when you study your lesson that you kind of backtrack and you see how the Lord just, every chapter has like a more intense message that you see a continuity. You can see the, what he's trying to get across to you. And really it is not complicated. I still say that all of these lessons could have such different outcomes. Even from the time when Jeremiah said to the kingdom of Judah, if you would just listen and repent and do what you're told, I mean, it had been a whole different story. And, and then, you know, we, we are now seeing in chapter 4, I mean, didn't you just love last week? I think I, I was talking to the foxes tonight, and we were saying how if, if somebody came up to me and said that I could only have one chapter of the Bible, never before I studied this would I have said Daniel 4. Because I am so convinced that Daniel 4 really spells it all out there. You talk about showing what human nature is really like, what we look like without a Savior, what self looks like. I mean, we saw it so clear in Nebuchadnezzar. We saw him exalt himself. We saw how, how Daniel relayed that dream. And I mean, it was like, like he was given a second chance. But for a whole year, he didn't listen. And so then, you know, can't you just picture him praying across his roof and he's just taking all the credit for the grandeur of the kingdom and the palace. And see, none of us better fool around with God's timing because we never know when he is going to pull the rug out from underneath us and say, you know what, enough is enough. 
But yet you can't help but see the grace and the mercy because look at it, it took seven years, but he finally, and didn't you love that line last week? When it's when when at the time, after the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. I remember last week I said hallelujah because this is what salvation looks like. When you respond, if you confess and repent, he is so faithful to forgive and to cleanse. But he had to do a lot to get his attention. I mean, let's face it. I mean, uh, the day you start growing claws and your hair turns into feathers, I would say that's an abrupt, you know, pretty much an abrupt signal that the Lord is trying to tell you something. And, and even more than that, you're on all fours eating grass. I mean, that whole description is just so creepy. But it got his attention. And then all of a sudden, you see him looking and his, making his eyes go toward heaven. And then you hear him say these words, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven. Because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Boy, that comes right from his mouth. So to me, what a way to end last week. We saw what human nature is without a Savior, and then we see what happens when you do have one. And and so now... Um, I don't know exactly how many years it is between chapter 4 and 5, but I do know that Belshazzar, this is from what I studied, they figure it's around 20 years later, but I don't know. You never know. If it doesn't say, we really don't know, and it really doesn't matter. All we know is that Nebuchadnezzar is no longer around. We know that in this chapter, he's called Father but, but let me just tell you about the culture of that day, is that it could have been, Nebuchadnezzar could have been his um, father, his, his real legitimate father, or it could have been his grandfather. And, and from what I read, that's more likely from the time span. And Daniel, he's, he's like middle-aged now. And who knows where he's been in the course of time since Belshazzar has taken over. It's obvious the kingdom went to pot. I mean, it's so I don't know what happened to Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but we know he'll be called back. So um, we just know, and, and let me just have you look ahead just for a minute, and there's a reason why I want you to look ahead. Because I want you to see in verse 22, because I'm going to stress that Belshazzar knew all about whether it's his dad, his grandpa, or whether his predecessor. It doesn't really matter. It hasn't been that long that a story like this would be forgotten, do you think? And so when Daniel is speaking in verse 22, he says, But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. So just keep that in mind, okay? But let's, let's go into the setting. Oh, I'm telling you, the first four verses, you can almost hear the party. 
You can almost hear that they are, uh, well, look at, this is Belshazzar, gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles. So, I mean, it is big. So a thousand of his nobles, and they drank wine with them. And while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He had no idea what he was doing. All he knew is that they thought they were sacred. They thought that they were precious. And to hoot to them. Let's show them. I mean, it was such blasphemy. So you can tell. You, you want to look. You want to see what self looks like without any consideration. Because remember, the whole book of Daniel has been about a sovereign God who is in it all. In the first three verses, I'm telling you, first four verses, you would almost think, oh, my goodness, the pagans won. The pagans won. The sovereign God lost. You know, that's the way it sounds. That's the way they're whooping it up. They could care less about anybody else. The nobles. And then it goes on to say, he gave orders to bring all those goblets in. And then it says, then so the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines. See, it just got worse. So you have the thousand nobles. Now you have wives with an S, which means trouble. And then add concubines to that. So they are carrying on in such disgrace. Liquor is flowing. And I can't help but think it looks like, it looks like with a party like this, evil is one. Didn't that remind you? I mean, when you, whenever we go to Good Friday and Easter, I mean, it, it always, when you, when you see how they crucified Jesus, and I mean, we know the end of the story, but you think about those people that didn't believe, and they thought that Jesus was gone. And it looked like evil wins. I remember when I studied Revelation, and and in there there is a chapter where it's before the before the tribulation starts there is an angel that calls out and says who can take the scroll from the father's hand and that scroll is the title of planet earth that is going to begin the tribulation that is what's going to start the process of getting this world the way it was intended to be but John goes on and says, and no one was worthy. No one was worthy to, to take the scroll from the Father's hand. And it says John wept and he wept because it looked like then evil won. And then all of a sudden, Jesus steps up with all authority and confidence and he takes, he takes the scroll from the Father's hand. And then tribulation starts. It's the beginning of 
the new heaven and the new earth. But a lot's got to happen before the new heaven and new earth is here. So there have been times from, from all the way from Daniel, and I'm sure even before that, but uh, from even when I'm saying tonight, we've got Daniel, we've got Jesus' crucifixion, we've got Revelation. And there's been times that it looks like evil has won. And so as they're parting and carrying on, thinking of no one but themselves, absolutely ignorant to what they had heard. It's like they didn't, they didn't care. Daniel tells us they knew, but they didn't care. And then in verse 5, suddenly, suddenly, everything changes. It's just like on Easter morning, resurrection morning, everything changed. When Jesus took the scroll from the Father's hand, everything changed. John wept because he thought evil had won until Jesus took it. Now there's such scriptural proof, isn't there? We live in a day and age where it looks like evil has won. You listen to the news and it just gets worse and worse. And But I want us to leave here tonight because we've got biblical proof that that's a lie that the enemy wants us to believe because Jesus is going to come back and he's going to change everything. And that's our hope. That's our future. That's why this particular study is so important that we get ourselves so positioned that we don't fear. We don't panic. And even though in all reality, it looks pretty bleak and looks like doom is set in, we know the rest of the story. Now here in this situation, suddenly everything changes. I mean, just like with Nebuchadnezzar, when, when the Lord said, that's it, and he turns into this monster, this animal-like creature. I'd say it got his attention in here, in this kind of drunken chaos. The Lord knows how to get their attention. And so it says that the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. I first wondered, I thought, I wonder if they were so drunk they thought they were hallucinating first. But more than likely, because this was such a reality, it sobered them real quick. And there's a hand that is writing on the plaster of the wall. And look at the change in the king. All of a sudden, his demeanor has changed. You know, Belshazzar, I mean, we know Daniel was called Belshazzar because they wanted him to have a name that took the sovereign God out and put their gods in because the word bell means it's the name for one of their gods which means 
protection for the king, save the king, savior of the king. Now, just because he has that name with that root word, Bell, all of a sudden, where's Bell? I mean, if this isn't more proof to you and I that there is coming today when all of a sudden, every nation, every nation, there is a nation, an earthly nation or an earthly ruler that will last. I mean, that was in the first dream, remember? I mean, about the, the, the big statue and the four kingdoms, Daniel explained that Babylon would be lost to Medes and Persia. Medes and Persia would go to the Greek Empire, and then the Greek Empire would turn into the Roman Empire. And we're going to see at the end of this lesson today just exactly what happens. So now where is this God? Where are these gods? They're worthless. The name might mean savior of the king, protector of the king. Well, all of a sudden, look what happens. It says that his face turned pale. He was so frightened that his knees knocked and his legs gave way. That's a far cry from verses 1 to 4, don't you think? See, when the Lord steps in, everything changes. So now, he is pale. He's a wreck. His knees are knocking. His legs give way. And, they, and he, the king called out for the encanters, the astrologers, the diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. See, that was quite a that was quite a, a big momentum. That, that was quite a dangle in front of them. That was very appealing to get put into that position, a, a purple robe, that when, he, when they walked through the, the kingdom, that people would recognize that they were powerful and they were important and they'd wear this gold chain around their neck and they would have the position of third in the kingdom. I'm here to tell you, only someone who is walking with the Lord doesn't bite to that because it's got everything that human nature, that self just gravitates to. Self-importance, power. So it really was quite the momentum. And, and these wise men, these so-called wise men, they couldn't wait to get their hands on that. So it was a lot of incentive to be able to interpret this. So all the king's wise men came in, and they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles, those thousand nobles, there they stand, gawking with their jaws dropped. They're baffled. 
Again, I say, quite a change. And don't you think that when they got up in the morning, that was the last thing they expected to happen? I'm sure, I mean, all this happens in a day. I think it's very important for us to realize that, I mean, none of us knows in the course of a day what's going to happen to us. That's why it's so important. Like Peter said last week when he, when he said, how are we to live? Well, we are to live our lives standing right with the Lord. And remember I said if I could insert 24-7, I would put that in there. Because it's not a pick and choose day. It's a relationship that you have always. So now he is more terrified. His face grows more pale. His nobles are baffled. The wise men don't know what to do. So now the queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. Now, when we study Esther, it's going to be very clear that queens are not allowed to come into the king's presence without an invitation. So what makes me think, and again, it doesn't matter. It, this might not be right. I'm just thinking practical. I think this is queen mother. Because even though wives are supposed to wait till the king calls, I would dare say, like any mother, I'm going in and talking to that boy. So, again, you, you think what you want. But she, she is walking in and she says, and look, at she knows. She knows about Nebuchadnezzar. She knows the story. She even knows Daniel's real name. Oh, king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit, little s, little case s, who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. See, they knew that, that Daniel was like superhuman, that there was something supernatural about him. And so they're just figuring that he gets his wisdom from the holy gods. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. She has no idea. But yet she's on the right track because Daniel is special. He is not superhuman, but it's, it's that verse in Ephesians 3.20. I think this is so lived out right here. And we know that we serve a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine or think. And I think a lot of us stop there because we all agree that he is able to do immeasurably more than what we could ever imagine or think. But the rest of the verse says, through us. He's able to do things that are what we would look at as impossible because we're not able. 
But when he steps in and has a plan, he enables us to do immeasurably more. But Daniel knows it's not him. He knows it's the sovereign God who's in all of this, who at just the right time says, you know what, that's enough. Wherever Daniel has been in, in, the, in these years, we don't know. But when God says it's time for another lesson, and so this man Daniel, the queen says, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding. And also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. Call Daniel. And the way that it's written, I repeat, she knows. And she knows his name is Daniel. So Daniel was brought before the king. And the king said to him, are you Daniel, one of the exiles, my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. I just want to look at that word, wisdom. And also, I mean, intelligence we can understand. But somehow they saw that Daniel had insight. And if that doesn't show that the Holy Spirit works from the inside out, because our physical eyes, our physical eyes are limited, and we can only see what the physical eyes can see. But our spiritual eyes, the eyes of our soul, gives us the insight. And also this wisdom. And I went back to when Daniel in chapter 2, when he, after he, he was given, before he went to Nebuchadnezzar to tell him the meaning of the dream, he praised the Lord. And he went into this prayer of praise. And this one line I caught, I thought, he said, and you, talking to the Lord, and you give wisdom to the wise. You give wisdom to the wise. Now, if you read that too fast, it would almost look like, it. well, that's quite silly. Because if you're wise, why would you need wisdom? But when he said, you give wisdom to the wise, I thought about what does wise mean? Who is a wise person? And again, our human tendencies is to think it's someone who's really smart, who's had a lot of education, and they just have so much brain capacity, and they just have all the answers. They seem. But I have discovered that a wise person, according to Daniel, because a wise person realizes that they're not. So they go to the only one who is. Now that's a wise person. So you don't see any self at all. A wise person knows they don't have all the answers. But they go to the one who does, the one who is all wise, 
And James says that if any of you lack wisdom, all you have to do is acknowledge the fact that you don't. You don't, you don't have the answers. And so you are going to go to the one who does. And if you lack wisdom, all you have to do is ask. And he will give it generously. So a wise person is one who goes to the Lord. And that's why Daniel said he gives wisdom to the wise. So that should be a lesson. That should be something that we strive for. That we want to be wise. We want to be able to go to the one who has the answers. That we don't have to figure out everything. And when he doesn't come through with an answer, we trust him enough that we wait. You know, if you ever want a little time, I don't know if, you, if any of you were here for the summer study when we did James, but there's a, there's a little section in that book where Jesus' brother just is very blunt about explaining heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. And that's why earthly wisdom and God's wisdom are so totally different, and they're going in totally different directions. And when you read that, you will see that that when you when you realize that you aren't, you don't have the answers, and you go to the one who does, you discover that he does lavish you with wisdom, and then that heavenly wisdom comes out in action. And James then says, "Don't be surprised then if that's how you act." And it's quite beautiful. When we seek our wisdom from the heavens, when we seek our wisdom from God himself, when we go to our Bibles, when we dare ponder and wait, and we seek him, and his promise is that if you seek, you'll find. Sometimes you just have to wait. But then out of you comes this new kind of character. That's what James, he labels. And he says, it's the character of Jesus. It's the character of his spirit. And all of a sudden, you see that you're loving unconditionally. You find you have joy even when you're not happy. You find that you have peace in the middle of your storm and your boat is a-rocking. You find that you're patient, that you're waiting. You're not jumping ahead. And you're wise enough to wait on him to give you the answer. Patience. You find that it's not about you. You find that the fruit of kindness, which is so much more than being nice, it's when you watch self find its place back there and you find selflessness start taking over. And that is such a beautiful trait. When you seek heavenly wisdom, you find God's definition of good. Good isn't our human definition where everything is going my way. You're wise enough now to go to the one who says, good, 
is when it doesn't look good at the time, but you trust me and you know that all things do turn out for good to those who love me. It's a great way to live when you seek this heavenly wisdom. When you live by faith, when the Spirit will produce faith in you, when you dare believe in your circumstance and it looks hopeless. But you let the Holy Spirit remind you of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you remember phrases like, God is sovereign. He's in it all. He's even in this. You live by faith, not by sight. When you seek heavenly wisdom, you find that you are gentle. And gentle doesn't mean that you're a pushover. In fact, it's just the opposite. Gentleness means that you are bold and you dare stand because you are confident of who your God is and what his word says. See, can't you see all these different kind of actions and character coming out of you when you seek heavenly wisdom? And then... The final one is all A wrapped into one. If you seek wisdom from above, you will learn how to control yourself. And I hope you have seen from the first four verses of chapter 5 just how far gone you can go. That we need, that self needs to be controlled and put in its place. And then James goes on to say, and then if you want to just hear earthly wisdom, you're going to go all totally off in another direction. Because you're going to be selfish. You're going to be envious. You're going to be jealous. You're, you're, it's just so ugly the way he puts it. So when all, when all you want is earthly wisdom, James says, don't be surprised then that that's what comes out of you. So there's such a difference. So when it was noticed that Daniel had insight, that he had intellect, that he had wisdom, we know they didn't understand it, but we sure do. We sure understood where, we sure understand where all this came from. So it goes on to say, the wise men and cantors were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means. This is Belshazzar talking to Daniel, verse 15. But they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretation and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. What do you, what do you think the king was expecting? I'm, I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, anybody who's not walking with the Lord would be saying, bring it on. But look at look what look at Daniel says in verse 17. Then Daniel answered because he wanted to make sure the king knew it was not his 
enticing with these gifts that was going to make him all of a sudden have this insight and wisdom. He wanted, he wanted this king to know it is not these gifts at all. And so when he said, you keep them, keep them for yourself or give them to somebody else, that had to have been a shock for the king. He says, I don't want anything. I don't want any of those gifts. I don't, I don't need that self-esteem because I know who I am. I am God's child. And he is all I need. He is all I need. I mean, you are starting to see that there is, I mean, when you look at the character of Belshazzar, and I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar was his dad or grandpa or what, or just a predecessor. All we know is that he knew the story. Did you wonder, did it go through your mind it kind of reminded me in the book of Judges, chapter 2, where it said that the very next generation after Joshua, no one even heard of Moses. So I'm here to tell you, I dare believe that because he knew somebody was telling him, but he didn't want to hear it's like he plugged his ears. He didn't want to hear anything about that. He wanted to exalt himself, just like Nebuchadnezzar did at first. I want all the attention to be about me. So how come? How come he didn't hear? How come he wouldn't hear anything? Because we know he did. How come he wouldn't hear? I think that this is... And, and maybe this is a, a tangent, but I don't think so because you've got to think about if he knew and did nothing about it, doesn't that sound like a wayward child to you? And if you understand, if you've experienced a wayward child, you know how crushing that can be. You can watch them make bad choices and then have to pay the consequences. You, you, you kind of throw up your hands and you think, I thought I, I trained them right. But once they get to the age of accountability, they make their own choice. I think this is what we see here. I mean... Just quickly, I mean, I, I talk about this because Tom and I have lived this. I mean, you know, you have one child that listens and learns, and, and then his character is one that this is what you pray for. And then you're given another child that's absolutely the opposite. And it's like he plugs his ears. And he even has the audacity to say when he was older, if you think I'm going to believe all this just because you are who you are, you're crazy. 
I am not going to buy into this just because you tell me to. And I'm telling you, once they're on that road, and I'm sure you dads feel the same way, but I'm just talking from a mom's perspective. You know, mom's jobs are to kiss always and make it better. I remember when my boys would scuff their knees, I'd put them on the counter, I would clean them, I would kiss them, they were ready to play again, just like there was something magic in that kiss. And now I have a bruised and broken boy. And I can't do a thing about it to kiss that owie away. But I learned something very valuable. Because I even watched Daniel tell Nebuchadnezzar the facts. You can tell them, but if they don't want to hear, they won't hear. And then you realize that the only one that can change that wayward child's heart is the Lord himself. And so what I knew I had to do, because I still wanted to fix them, and it seems like the more mothers try to fix them, the worse it gets. So every day after he left for school, and then because this took years, it took years going down to that bed of his. And I prayed 10 minutes, not for Tom, not for Chad, just for Jason. And I prayed so that the Lord would get a hold of his heart and that I would keep my mitts off and that I would keep surrendering him to the only one that could change him. And no, it didn't happen when I wanted it. He went a lot of years wayward. And, you know, we have that, we have that proverb, and I, I learned something about that proverb, and I know that you know which one I'm talking about, that if you train a child, if you train him in the way he should go when he's old, he won't depart. I just learned recently that that's not a promise. It's a proverb. In other words, that if you train a child, when you do your job, it's more than likely that they will follow. You didn't know that Belshazzar was going to give us such a parenting lesson, did you? It guy, it woke me up. Because I thought maybe I will never see it. But all I can do is stop preaching to him and just live Jesus out. Live that fruit of the Spirit. Live out that unconditional love. Because it's not condemnation that wins wayward kids. It's unconditional love. It's not that you condone what they're doing. Believe me, our boy knew that we did not agree with what he was doing. But it was just like the Lord said, stop harping on him. He knows. Now start loving him anyway. I can remember one time when I blew it. Because I, I don't want you to think that, oh, I did everything right. Because he made me so mad once. He made me so frustrated. That I decided that I wasn't going to get near him. I mean, he was grounded for the whole month, so he leaves close. He was close by. 
He was within the four walls. But I was going to ignore him. I was totally going to ignore him. I'm not going to talk to him. I'm not even going to listen when he talks to me. I'm going to ignore him. Three whole days it went like that. And I really do believe the Lord grabbed me around the neck like he so graciously does. And do you know that after Jason's conversion and after many years, he said to me, do you remember those three days when you didn't talk to me at all? When you ignored me? I said, and this is what I said, I sure do. And you had it coming. (laughs) Terrible. Isn't that so pathetic? He looked at me and he said, you're right. I did have it coming. But that's when I needed you the most. Yeah, that's when I needed you the most. So the proverb, train up a child. I think it is evaluate. Evaluate your parenting. And I don't care if they're grown, they're married, they have children of their own. We still have a responsibility to live this out, to check how we are walking with the Lord. Because I'm here to tell you, if you have bought into the lie and you have given this philosophy to your children, do as I say, but not as I do. Let me tell you, you're heading for trouble. Because they are looking at you. They're expecting you to be walking the walk. And I think that's why it's a proverb. If you train a child in the ways of the Lord, and you do the best you can, even though they go wayward sometimes, and you love with the fruit of God's spirit. And Jesus said, don't condemn. I didn't even come to condemn the world. What gives you the right to? So there is something to consider. Why did Belshazzar? I don't know. He might have had wonderful parents. And if it was Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar tried. But then I have to say, if your child is an adult, then you have to let it go because you can't change him. But commit to so many minutes a day where you surrender that one. You're wise enough to know you're not, you're not wise enough to change that child. But he is. And he knows what it will take to get their attention. And you dare love him enough to say to the Lord, do what you have to do. I remember when I prayed that the first time, I almost choked. Because I knew it was going to be a tough one. But I loved him enough to say, Lord, do what you have to do. Turn his nails into claws if you have to. Turn his hair into feathers. I don't care. Do something that he realizes. And what Jason's was is that he was going to get married. And and so he was going to call the pastor because Chad didn't have his credentials yet. And so I knew that he was going to call the pastor. So I called him ahead of time. 
And I called our pastor and I said, Jason is going to call you because he wants you to marry him and Amy. And our pastor at the time said, good, I can't wait. And I said, but I also know that you meet with them about four times, right? He says, I sure do. And I remember saying to him, now, when Jason and Amy come, I want you to nail Jason to the wall. Because he's going to have every right answer. He is such a con. He knows all the church jargon. He's heard me sing every week. He knows. He knows every answer that you're going to ask. The pastor really was given wisdom because he told me this later. Because when you know that sometimes you're not the one that's going to do it, that they're going to listen to. And you've got to be okay with that. And now, our pastor said to me later, he says, I sat in a chair with wheels on. And I rolled it right in front of Jason. And I was three inches from his nose. And it startled him a little. But I said to him, okay, Jason, no more games. Where do you stand with Jesus? It was that night that Jason accepted Jesus. Now, it is a beautiful ending, isn't it? I know. But we don't always get the beautiful endings. However, we can trust a God who doesn't give up. And even though we might not see it, we're responsible for living it, living out the character of Christ, learning and growing and maturing. Let them see Jesus in you. And you don't even have to preach to him. Because the light of Jesus and the character of Jesus is so unique. It's like that's why they saw in Daniel something so different. I went to hear Jason preach his first sermon. See, that's quite a turnaround, isn't it? I heard his first sermon, and, you know, even though Jason and Chad, they're both pastors, and, and they, I heard them both preach the same sermon one time. I went to hear Chad, and then I knew that Jason was going to be preaching the same sermon. And so it was so exciting to be able to go hear Chad and then hear Jason preaching the same passage of Scripture. And I couldn't believe the difference. They both were so insightful. And I remember when I was in the back and he was waiting to shake hands, shake hands and, and I, I grabbed him and he whispered in my ear, he says, I was born for this. It just took me a while. Yeah. But it was Jason at my mom's graveside service. The both boys did it. Chad started it. Read question one of the Heidelberg Catechism. He was wearing the suit that my mom bought for him when he, when he went to seminary. It was his first wedding and funeral suit. And 21 years later, he was wearing it yet. And it looked a little rough on him. And he said, but I just wanted to wear it today. But I think I'm going to throw it in the hole when we're done. I mean, that's Chad. He's so quick-witted. But he's so prim and proper. 
And so Heidelberg question and answer. And then it goes to Jason for the message. And Jason says this, my Nana wasn't perfect. But what would we need grace for then? See, he understood that. He understood that we are lost sinners and we have a Savior. He, of all people, when the Lord grabbed him. I mean, there are times when Jason is preaching and he's preaching the gospel will bring it into anything and everything and he'll just say, now isn't that something? Isn't that wonderful? See, God knows what every kid needs. But unfortunately, we have to go to the rest of this story. And this is what it looks like when you will not, no matter how, how much you've been told. And that's why it's the sin against the Holy Spirit that is unforgivable. Because if you constantly hear the gospel message and you keep saying no, the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to see your condition. He's trying to get you to humble yourself and repent. Then Daniel says this in verse 18. After he said, keep your gifts. He is all I need. See, that's what we're saying that tonight. Shouldn't that be a goal? That that's what we're striving for. I know it's easy to sing, nice little tune. It really, it really says he is all I need. And, and I think sometimes we even think we believe that. But then, boy, when the bottom falls out of our bank account or when something happens and all of a sudden I am not healthy or maybe this is not the way I expected my life to go and all of a sudden we've got this choice. Am I going to trust him or am I going to fall into myself? I think Daniel was saying, damn, I don't need anything this world's got because I got him. And that's where I get my insight, my intellect, and my wisdom. Nevertheless, I'm still going to tell you. I'm still going to read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. He had to make that point. And then he goes on. O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave them. Did, did you notice how many times Daniel insinuates? First he said, the most high God gave him. He gave Nebuchadnezzar the Most High God gave him all this blood. And then he goes on and says, and he gave him all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. They feared him. 
Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant, his heart became arrogant. And don't you think we have seen that in so many of the famous preachers today? They forgot. They forgot where it all came from. They didn't stay humble before the Lord. I think it's not just for the famous preachers. I think it's for every one of us. Sometimes we get a little spiritual cocky. And we think that we know. And we think that we've been given an extra blessing or something. And we forget that everything we are, everything that we have is from him And he's got a purpose in mind of why he gave it to us. We forget that once we've gone to the cross, it's not about ourselves anymore. It's about him. And I'll repeat that every week if I have to. We forget that. And we become spiritually arrogant. So when Nebuchadnezzar's heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, which will never, never, never be accepted by God. He was disposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys, ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until, I hope you've underlined that, circled it. I put pink marker I just want to make sure that when my Bible falls to Daniel 5, that word until changed everything. Just like what we talked about a little while ago. This is what self looks like. But when Jesus gets a hold of you, he changes everything. Look at until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. Now, you know how I like to look at, at white space between paragraphs. And I always like, you know, before Daniel says, but you, his son, O Belshazzar, I'm thinking he just gave him the gospel story. He gave him Nebuchadnezzar's story. He gave him a chance. I think in that white space, there was Belshazzar's chance to say, I know, I believe, I repent. I think that white space is in there for a reason because I don't care if it's just two seconds worth. Two seconds is enough to be able to let him change your heart. But when he obviously didn't repent, oh, Belshazzar, you have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. 
You had the goblets from this temple brought to you. And you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver, of gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Which cannot see or hear or understand. They're worthless. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. He holds your life and all your ways, and he saw to it you heard. This is the inscription, Belshazzar. This is the inscription, many, many tackle parson. This is what these words mean. Many, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Remember I said, if you don't humble yourself before the Lord and you have an opportunity to, and you don't, I guarantee you that he will humble you. And this is a very humbling Experience, and yet he does nothing about it. And then tackle, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. What does that mean? Scales. Whose scales? God's scales. I think we're going to all get on the scale of what we did with Gospel 101. What did you do when you heard the gospel? What did you do with it? And obviously, Belshazzar did nothing. And so it says, he found it wanting. Yeah, he pretty much sank to the bottom. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck. He was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now, why did he take it now? He had a mission the first time. I have no idea why he took it this time. Maybe the king forced it on him. Because he wanted to make sure that he at least followed through with what he promised. Or it could mean, because it's been a long time since Daniel had a position that he was able to have an influence. Maybe this would help him with the new king and the new kingdom. All I know for sure is that he didn't take it in pride. And next week's lesson will prove that to you for sure. Now this is the way to end today. This is what it looks like when the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to see what you need the most and you refuse it. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. Maybe you say, well, how come Nebuchadnezzar was given another chance? That's why don't play around with God's timing. 
Sometimes he gives chances, but because he can see the heart so clearly, he knows. He knows. And this is the way, must I say it again? This whole study is about a sovereign God who shows us it's either salvation and repentance or it's judgment. That's just the way it's going to be. He was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom and the age of Belshazzar was 62. What a shame. What a shame. And I do hate to say this, but sometimes we've got to get shook right down to the core. Belshazzar is going to go to hell. I mean, this is just the way the terms are. A little different, isn't it, from last week's ending of chapter 4? That's what it looks like when you respond, yes. But there's no coincidence that chapter 5 shows you, and this is what happens when you respond, no. We shouldn't want this on our worst enemy. So like Second Peter last week, how are you to live your life? You are to live it right. You're, li you're to live it right before him. Are your actions putting a smile on his face? I know sometimes think, oh, Linnell, you're such a killjoy. You just don't want to have fun. I have plenty of fun. But what concerns me is what I'm doing in my fun. Is it putting a smile on his face? Or is he disappointed in me? And he deserves so much more. Heavenly Father, again, we say thank you for this lesson. Lord, as we go into this last song, Father, may we see, even though it's, it's old, it's older than dirt, but this old hymn writer, he got it. And it just came into my mind when I was studying. I've sung this song so many times when I was a little girl. To know that we have a God who will lead us by his own hand. He leads us. Faithful follower. That's what he wants us to be. Faithful follower. I'm going to choose to be. For by his hand, and it's a sufficient hand that leads me. Father, may we realize that it's in our sufferings. It's in our sufferings, believe it or not, that we get to grow in you. It's now when everything is going our way. So may we see that Daniel in exile, Nebuchadnezzar, with his dream. Sometimes it takes hardships. But may we see that through it all, you're up for good. You're up to change us so that we can be more like Jesus. That we don't miss the abundant life. So, Father, may we know that we have a God who will lead by his hand. 
And even though it might lead us to a time in our life that it's not what we expected, it's painful, it hurts. But then may we remember that our sovereign God knows what he's doing and he's in it all. So through it all, we can trust in Jesus. Through it all, we can trust in God. And through it all, we can depend on his word. And we pray this in our Savior's name, who does make our lives so worth 